0: Sunday morning, and I'm trying to impart to you the story of the kings of Israel, the whole idea of this message. Uh, It's like one long message. This is not separate messages. When you teach on the New Testament, you're teaching on You're teaching on God having blinded the eyes of the Jews. Blinded the eyes of the Jews. Of Jews. And there was a reason for that. The Jews received the truth over here in the Old Testament. They received the truth from Adam. And there's a bloodline. Adam down through Noah. And then... Uh, Shem where we get the word Semitic his second born all the way down to Abraham Isaac and Jacob Jacob was the 24th he was the great 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 said 24 times grandson of Adam that's what Jacob was Jacob's name was changed to Israel that is one bloodline. And we've been talking about why God blinded the eyes of Israel. All the time they were a nation. You had, you had prophets telling the people what God would have them to do up to Jacob. And then God has Jacob has two sons. Well, he actually has 12. But he's got two sons that are very important in ruling Israel. And one of them is Judah, the fourth born. Out of Judah would come the king. And these are the men that would be over Israel as a ruling scepter uh, towards the whole nation. And you had Levi. Levi was the third son of Jacob. Jacob's name being changed to Israel in Genesis 32. Genesis the 32nd chapter. When he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, the angel says, What is your name? And he said, Ya'cob. Ya'cob or Jacob means he'll catch a one who trips people up. And he was always doing that. And so his name was changed to Israel and he said your name now will be Yisrael which means to prevail with God that's what Israel means prevail with God now the story is the reason God blinded the eyes of the Jews is because they never served him in truth you had a few kings and we're going through the story of some of these kings and most of them didn't serve God in truth, he said I brought you out of Egypt and here you've turned to these other gods, Baal, Grove Shemash, Molech all of those were forms of the sun and the tree god and the sun god was represented on earth by the fire and the tree goddess was represented as a a tree or as the moon that was the moon goddess now all the time they were a nation under kings that's who we're talking about is why God turned away from Israel all the time they're a nation under kings Saul was the first man king man king why do you say man king because their first king their first king over israel was the lord god he was their king he says that and uh, the lord god was their king he says that in hosea he says it in a bunch of places but hosea the 13th chapter and first samuel the 12th chapter they were asking for a king back in the 8th chapter because Samuel had two sons. Samuel was the prophet. and He had two sons that were evil. And they said, we don't want your sons telling us what to do. Give us a king. So in that 12th chapter, First Samuel, the Bible says, the Lord says, Samuel tells the people, that was where they had the coronation for King Saul. King Saul, I keep saying, was from the wrong tribe to be king. The king has to come from Judah. The Bible says so over there in Genesis, the ninth chapter when Jacob or Israel gather his sons around to bring all the curses and the blessings on them. What do you mean curses? Well, Reuben was unstable as water, and Levi had followed Simeon in a coup against some people in Israel that were going to become a part of Israel, Hamor and his son Shechem, and he murdered them. You say, and that's before they were A nation, uh, Levi, followed Simeon's lead and they went and killed these men. When Jacob had said, you can come into our nation, Shechem had fallen in love and had sexual intimacy with Jacob's only daughter and her name was Dinah, D-I-N-A-H. And Shechem loved her. And he went to Jacob and said, can I... Can I marry your daughter I love her and he said if you all your family will come into Israel and will be circumcised and he said you can be a proselyte Jew and they said okay we'll all do that I don't know how many there were but the whole family and while they were circumcised Simeon boy what a what a character he was the second born of Jacob he said, let's get together and those people are disabled and they're all circumcised and they're too sore to fight back. Let's kill all of them. And he gets Levi and takes them and they slaughter them. And Jacob tells him, you brought reproach upon Israel. So... Israel wasn't exactly when somebody says well the Bible says for whom he did for all he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And he loved Jacob and hated Esau because he knew how evil Esau was. Let me tell you if there's an evil person in the Bible it was Jacob. The guy guy was a scoundrel. He lied all the time. He lied and told his father yes I am your son Esau. He was stealing his brother's birthright. But Jacob had to be caused to repent, and he did. He was always hoodooing somebody. Now, i got to get back to where we are. We're talking about these kings. Saul was the first king. I gave you one of these uh, papers that shows all the kings of Israel. This is all of them. Now, we've been talking about various ones and why God blinded their eyes in the New Testament Testament, and opened the eyes of the Gentiles and cause them to be spiritual Israel. A Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. Now, people call this replacement theology. It is not replacement theology. Those of us that belong to God, he has known us as his before the foundation of the world. That's not replacing anybody. I hate for somebody to say, you're preaching replacement theology. We have always been Israel. Let me show you something. Go to Acts, the 7th chapter. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this, but me, it's just crazy. Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin telling the story of Israel about their beginning, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he gets on down to Moses and tells the story of Moses. And he gets over here, he's talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. When they're going through this wilderness, that tongue of the Arabian Peninsula, they're wandered 40 years in that. And he says here, this is a very important segment. Verse 36, chapter 7 of... Acts he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and the wilderness 40 years this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you this is found several times over in the Old Testament A prophet, you can find it in the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy. Shall the Lord your God raise up unto you and your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear. This is he. This is Jesus is talking about. When they came to John the Baptist in John the first chapter, and they said, art thou that prophet? They were talking about this. And then John the Baptist said, no, I'm not. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Oh, you mean the church was in the wilderness for 40 years? Yes, that word church is ekkah. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, it comes from ek and kaleo, it means called out. God called them out of Egypt, and he's called us out of this world. We are the church, they were the church, they were the little church, and we are the spiritual church. We are a spiritual Israel, whether you believe that or not. You can't have all the writings of Paul talking about we're one body now. The body is one body. That's the church. This is not replacement theology. We've been his since the beginning, from before the beginning. Now, I want us to get back to these kings. I thought I'd just give that to you. Get back to these kings. I want us to go over here to where we were last week. The reason God blinded the eyes of the Jews, they kept going after all of these gods until God scattered them all over the world. And he said, I'm going to scatter you. And when he does, he says, I'm going to give you a time to repent. That's called the 77s or the 70 weeks of Daniel. I can't go into that right now too much. Takes me. I did an eighteen month series on the seventy weeks of Daniel on Sunday morning, back about ten years ago. So if you want that, call and ask for it. All right. Now why did God blind their eyes? And why did he open the eyes of the Gentiles? Because of all this that these kings did while they were a nation. Their last king was Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Now, that I detested. (laughs) He was some outrageous king. These are the kings of Israel right here. Saul, David, and Solomon. It says united kingdom. That's because the kingdom hadn't been split into two kingdoms yet. It was Solomon that brought that about. Solomon allowed his 700 wives, his 300 concubines, to have their son and three gods. One of his wives was the daughter of Pharaoh. How in the world, what's Solomon doing marrying the daughter of Pharaoh? That's a good question we need to ask him when we get to heaven. He'll probably ask us why were we involved in our gods here upon the earth if we ask him that. But it was split under Solomon. God says, i am taking the kingdom away from you. So he split into southern Judah, northern Israel, This right-hand side, it's the left-hand side on your paper, is this is northern Israel. These are not legitimate kings. David is of the tribe of Judah. His son Solomon, of course, was of the tribe of Judah. His son was Rehoboam of the tribe of Judah, and Abijah, and Asa, and all these are the tribe of Judah except for Athaliah. She's a witch. She tried to take over the kingdom. She is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel because Ahab was getting Jehoshaphat, who is a righteous man, running around with him. And somehow, somehow Athaliah, ran into Jehoram one night at some party and she liked him because he was good looking and he thought she was hot so they married and she comes down into Israel bring her mother's gods down into southern Judah or southern Israel and says oh, I want this kingdom for myself so she kills all the seed royal except one boy that was a salvation Joash He's the only king, the only lineage of Judah that was left. And he's a pretty good guy when he first comes in. But he gets evil like the rest. And then we got down to Amaziah. We talked about Uzziah last week. Does anybody remember his other name? Huh? Azariah. 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 You have to look at you've got to look in the in first in 2nd Kings he's called Azariah or Azariah however you want to pronounce it 2nd Kings and then he's called Uzziah in 2nd Chronicles and Isaiah Uzziah now we've We've come down to the end of Israel's history. We're talking about why God carried them away. They kept going after these other gods. But we have, we have consummated northern Israel's departure or their deportation. Northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrians. not Syrians not Syrians Syria is a nation just north east of Israel that's Syria Syria's had the same name since ancient times that well I don't need to get into that excuse me <laughs> I start to go off a little something and I have to correct myself I was going to talk about the four generals that took over Alexander the Great's empire, and one of them was the Syrian kings, or Seleucius. They tried to raise up an empire, which they didn't quite make it, but they were trouble for Israel. Now, we're talking about the Assyrians. Assyria was what you would call northern babylon took in all of georgia up here all of this area and iraq is bab the main babylonian area and the entire the entire system of babylon was called babylonia but the city itself was called babylon and she was the mother of all harlots, according to Revelation 17 and 5. Being the mother, she gave birth to everything that was harlotry. Harlot is the word pornea. We got our word porn from that. But it doesn't just mean to look at naked pictures of men and women. It means idolatry. Idolatry is the word E I D O L O L A T R E I A. It comes from two words IDO and La Truo. La Truo means to see. Ido means excuse me. Ido means to see. La Truo means to serve. It means to serve what You see what you put into your eyes and your ears. That's what idolatry is. You don't have to own a statue that you bow down to. All you have to do is serve your car, serve your house, serve your furniture, serve your diamond ring, serve your job, and say, this is all that's important to me. Then that is your God. That's your idol. And that's what Eve did. She looked at the tree. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1 and 8, all things are full of labor. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. The mouth will not simply utter it. You will go and serve what you continually put into your eyes and your ears. Now, I'm trying to work my way into this. The Assyrians, we went through that last week. The Assyrians carried northern Israel away into captivity. Then southern Judah starts getting corrupt because the way that that idolatry got down into southern Judah was through Athaliah. She marries... King Jehoram. If you'll notice, Jehoshaphat has a son named Jehoram and a son named Ahaziah, or Ahaziah, however you want to pronounce it. Ahab has a son named Ahaziah, a son named Jehoram. They were running around with each other. Jehoshaphat was good. Ahab was evil. Even Ahab gets killed Jehoshaphat gets corrected by Jehu when Jehu runs across him and he says, what are you doing helping an evil king? (laughs) What are you doing running around with the wrong people? If you evil communications corrupt good morals, you will get corrupted if you run with the wrong people. Well, I can affect them. I have done that when I was young. I kept running around with certain gospel singers that I was singing with thinking well I can convert them instead they corrupted me that's what happens to you well they want me I'm too strong no you're not nobody's that strong you can't flirt with sin and hold hands with it and get by now I want us to go back to where we were let's go back over there to 2nd Kings 2nd Kings the 19th chapter this is where we talked about this last week second kings 19 this is where the last you had several Assyrians that were several Assyrians that were prominent you had Tiglath-Pileser what a name don't name your kid that They'll call him Tiggy in school and he won't have a very happy life. They had Shalmaneser and they were attacking Israel. Israel was attacked by these monarchs of Assyria. They were attacked uh, for t- 10 years from 732 BC to 722 BC. And that's when the last of northern israel was carried away and god says i've had my fill with northern israel but you have to understand when the assyrians came in they didn't just remove israelites from see if i can find a. they didn't just remove israelites They carried them off, but they moved into Israel, settled in Israel, intermarried with the women, and started teaching northern Israel Assyrian tree and sun worship. They had a mixture of Jehovah and sun and tree worship mixture. That's why Jesus, I said this last week, that's why Jesus told the woman of the well of Samaria, You worship, you know not what. Because it was a mixed-up religion. That's why the Pharisees hated northern Israel. They wouldn't step foot into it. Now, these kings have overthrown northern Israel. They assume they could go down into southern Judah, and they assume at the same time in 722, they can go down into southern Judah, and they think, well... Sennacherib, he is the conquering Assyrian king. He thinks, I can go down as long as I'm up here in northern Israel conquering them and carrying them away. I can go down to southern Judah and do the same thing to them. No way. It's not time for them to be carried away. It'll be... Around 136 years later, in 586 B.C., before southern Judah is corrupt enough, God says it's time for Babylon to carry you away. But Babylon, in the meantime, has to overthrow the Assyrians. So there's a lot of fighting that has to go on. So they think they can come, Sennacherib thinks he can come down. And thinks he can just overthrow southern Judah. He's got a lot he's got a lot of thinking coming because his enemy in southern Judah is none other than the living God because his prophet is Isaiah. And the king in southern Judah is Hezekiah. Two of the most righteous men that have ever lived upon the earth. One thing you don't do, you don't attack. If you've got nuclear warheads and you got a million soldiers, you don't attack these two men. You do. You'll die before you even get into battle. So Hezekiah is a king. I read it before. Let me give it to you again about Hezekiah, how righteous he was. In verse 5 of chapter 18, speaking of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none likened to him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. He was the best of kings, righteous. Now, He gets all stirred up when Sennacherib comes, his army comes to the wall of Jerusalem. And Sennacherib sends his Rabshakeh. That was the same thing, Rabshakeh. The Rabshakeh of the Assyrians was the same thing as a butler in Israel. A butler was not a guy that answered the door and wore a frock tail coat. That wasn't a butler. That was a cup-bearer. He was the closest thing to a king because he would come and bring the king his cup of drink or whatever, and he would taste it before the king. And if he died, the king wouldn't drink of it. And he had to be very close to the king. So he sent his Rabshaka to the wall of Jerusalem and said, and he tells the he tells Eliakim, he is the son. Eliakim. Eliakim speaks for his father Hilkiah. Hilkiah is the high priest of Israel. That makes Eliakim a high priest. But these men sent their messengers. The Rabshakeh was the messenger of Sennacherib, and Eliakim was the message of his father Hilkiah. And Eliakim stands on the wall, and this Rabshakeh says, Do you think that your God is going to deliver me, deliver you from the greatest, the great king, the greatest army that has existed up to this point? You think that? Nothing will deliver you from that. And he threatens them all through this 19th chapter. You're going to die. Nobody can get away from the Sennacherib or Shalmanes or Tiglath-Pileser when they were kings. So one night, I'm going to give it to you because it tells you several times. They're out there encamped and Hezekiah gets a little nervous. He goes to Isaiah. Isaiah prays a little short prayer because Jerusalem is just a little sleepy town of just a few thousand people and Sennacherib has got hundreds of thousands of soldiers at the gate and they're ready to run over Jerusalem. Well, that night that night, here's what happens. I'm going to read it to you. You need to read the different characterizations of these men read it in 2nd Kings then read it in 2nd Chronicles and read it out of the book of Isaiah and I've read it last week but let me read it to you again verse 32 chapter 19 2 Kings therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria he shall not come into this city. I'm guarding the city. I'm God. I'm taking care of him. Nor shoot an arrow there. Nor come before it with shield. Nor cast a bank. That would be a a bulwark against it. By the way that he came. By the same as the way he's going to turn. I will turn him around. And God uses a drastic measure to turn Sennacherib around and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. He's not going to set foot in Jerusalem. God has a death angel. His name is Michael. Michael is somebody you didn't talk back to. Michael Michael could kill you on the spot just looking at you. And he killed 185 people. Thousand Assyrians that night by himself. One on 180, one against 185,000. That's better than karate. For I will defend this city. God says, I'm going to defend it to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it shall come to pass that night. And it came to pass that night. The next day Sennacherib was going to attack and Jerusalem would have looked like a wasteland if he'd have got to do it. The death angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians, and a hundred full score and five thousand, a score is twenty a hundred and eighty five thousand, and they were and when they arose early in the morning, behold they were all dead corpses. I love that. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. That was the capital city of the Assyrians. That's right about where Baghdad is on the Euphrates, excuse me, on the Tigris River. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adrammelech and Sherezer his sons killed him with a sword and they escaped in the land of Armenia and Asher had his son reigned in his stead. And it's done. Now, what I've got, to, let me give you a couple other places. Look over here in Isaiah 31. Isaiah 31. I want you to see this, what it says. Isaiah 31. Isaiah's got a little bit to say about this. Isaiah 31, verse 6. Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. It's talking about Israel's revolt against God. They weren't obedient to him. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. That hasn't happened yet which your own hands have made unto you for sin then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword and not of a mighty man it won't be mighty men it'll be the death angel who comes and gets him and the sword not of a mean man shall devour the king of Assyria but he shall flee from the sword and his young men shall be discomfited, and he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the incense, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and his furnaces in Jerusalem. Now I want to give you one other on this. Look over here at Isaiah 37 Isaiah is giving his account of this happening in Jerusalem where that Sennacherib is going to come in there were two different kingdoms they both have to be carried away because of their idolatry which is the same thing as Christmas now, Isaiah 37 he kind of gives it in detail here let's look at uh, 36. You can read this whole chapter. He goes into a lot of detail about the things that happened. I like what he says in uh, verse 29, 28 and 29. I know thy bow, thy going out and thy coming in, and thy rage against me, Sennacherib. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up in mine ears. Therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips. And I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. I like that. They had a method the Assyrians when you look at that first chapter of Judges when when Joshua's coming in, dividing the land, it says they conquered the Assyrians and they would put hooks in their jaws. What they would do would take and run a hole up under their jaw and out their mouth. First thing they'd do is cut their great thumbs and their great toes off. If you don't have a big toe, and you don't have a thumb, you cannot hold a weapon correctly, and you have no balance, so that's your big toe. You think all things are not an important part of the body? And they would take an Assyrian king, cut off his thumbs and his big toes, and then brought a hook to his jaw. And God says, I'll put my hooks in your jaw. And I'll drag you away. And then they would put one of these kings who had done this to putting under their table and once in a while throwing a scrap of bread or meat. And that's how he had it exist until the day he died. So he says, I'll put my hooks in your jaws. Then he says, look down here in verse 35. Now remember, God is saying, I'm going to defend Jerusalem because it's not time for them to be carried away. It's 136 years down the road before Nebuchadnezzar will come in, but he's got to overthrow the Assyrians before then. So in time, it'll be their time to go. But this ain't time. And these guys are being very presumptuous. Verse thirty five I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred, full score, and five thousand. See, that's two witnesses, isn't it? And when they arose early in the morning, I love that last phrase. Behold, they are all dead corpses, good. That's what God wants. Now, after this, I want us to go back over here to 2 Kings, 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings, actually, I want to go to verse chapter 20, 2 Kings 20. I've said this before. Let me say it again. Maybe this will help some of you understand. When you're reading 1st or 2nd Kings, 1st or 2nd Kings, when you're reading 1st or 2nd Kings, always look and see who the prophet is. And look in your concordance and look at 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And get the the events in 1st and 2nd, particularly 2nd Kings. That's when they're destroyed, particularly 2nd Chronicles. Look and see what you can match up in the events in your concordance. Match up the events and read all of them. Because one of them will say something the other doesn't say. And also, look in those books and see the prophet who's prophesying and look at his prophecy like in Isaiah. Isaiah or Jeremiah. Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied for 50 years to northern Israel Jeremiah preached for 40 years to southern Judah and it was Jeremiah was the last prophet in Israel look at the prophets match them up and then read all the accounts let me show you why this is necessary Hezekiah gets sick. Hezekiah did not pray that God would make him well. God didn't give him 15 more years because he prayed for it. He did not. People have it in their heads. Well, they prayed. uh, uh, There was Hannah. She prayed. And she prayed for a son. She did not. Hannah. Hannah was the wife of Elkanah Elkanah this is in the first chapter of first Samuel first Samuel and when Samuel becomes the prophet he is the son of Hannah and Hannah was barren there several women that were barren in the Bible. Sarah was barren. She was 90 years old before she had a son. And and then you had Hannah was barren. Uh, Samson's wife, it doesn't say what her name was. He just called Samson's father Elkanah. His name was Elkanah. That was... Samson's father and his mother was barren she couldn't have children so these miracles would come about you had several women Rachel was barren she kept praying God give me a son her they were him her and Leah were having contests having sons since Rachel couldn't have any she gave Jacob her handmaid uh, and and Leah said well I'll give my handmaiden to him too that was Zilpah and Bilhah I don't think you want to name your kids that either <laughs> Zilpah was the handmaid of Leah and some of the sons were born to some of the sons of Jacob were born to these and Bilhah Bilhah was the handmaid of Rachel so Rachel said I want if I can't have a children I'll have Bilhah and she will bear upon my knees what they would do while the baby was being born the one the woman was going to take possession of the baby and be the mother they would bear the baby upon the knees of the one that was going to have it and raise it and that would be Rachel but she still wanted to a son and she had crying out to the Lord when are I going to have a son and God gave her the best son you could have the very picture of Christ in the Old Testament she had a son the 11th son of Jacob was Joseph that was Rachel's blessed son she had another son the twelfth son, Benjamin. A lot to their story I gotta get back to the main story. Now, people think that Hezekiah prayed that he would uh, have a son, or that he would be well. He didn't. You've got to read this and pay close attention to it, okay? Let's read here in the twentieth chapter of Second Kings. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos came in to him and said unto him, "Set thine house, set thy thus saith the Lord, set thy house in order." When they were going to set their house in order, they would go home tell everybody, "I'm going to die." If you were told that you're going to die tomorrow, would you have a different attitude? You think that's the guy did? Oh, yeah. He wept. I have thought about this and thought about this. If God told me I was going to die before the end of next week, I would have a lot of things to get together in my head, wouldn't you? It's God saying, you're going to die. Thou shalt die and not live. That's going to be very shortly here. Then he said, then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, he doesn't say give me more years. He just says, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Why was he crying? I think he was weeping because he had some sin in his life he knows he's going to go meet God very shortly and he's, I believe he's weeping over not over his dying but over I've got to get this thing right with God even though he was a righteous king and it came to pass before Isaiah was going out into the middle court that the word of the that the the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people. Thus saith the Lord, The God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. He didn't ask for years, did he? He said, I just want you to remember how I've served you in truth. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. As to what the tears were for, they were probably him trying to get his heart right, knowing he had things. But you're not going to find out all about him in this chapter here. You need to go over to Second Chronicles. And I shall go up into the house of the Lord. I will add unto thy days fifteen years he didn't ask for fifteen years people want to say Hezekiah asked for extra time he did not he just prayed to God and said I've served you and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria it's as though this chapter is a little out of spot because in the previous chapter it shows he's delivered from the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the bull, and he recovered. Now, go over here to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Give you a little more information on Hezekiah. But if you don't read both of them you're not gonna know. Second Chronicles 32nd chapter. All right. 32. 32, verse 24. And in those days, Hezekiah was sick. To the death. You can read about Sennacherib in this chapter right before this. He was sick to death and prayed unto the Lord and he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him for his heart was lifted up. Oops. He was proud. Was he proud that he had beaten the enemy, but it wasn't him. It was the death angel Michael that had killed 185,000 Assyrians. See, it doesn't say his heart is lifted up in Second Kings, does it? For his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon Hezekiah. Perhaps that's why God said you're going to die. Upon Judah and Jerusalem, notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself, said, God, forgive me. When he was weeping, he was probably repenting. If you knew you was going to die, would you get anything straight with God if you knew within the next four days you was going to die? Would you? Oh, gosh, we'd be on our face all day, every day, wouldn't we? Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasures for silver and for gold, for precious stones and spices, and for shields, for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn. Maybe he was proud of all that he had and wine and oil and stalls and for all the manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities in possession of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him substance very much. The same Hezekiah also stopped the upper watercourse of Gihon and brought it down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in his works. Howbeit, in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who set into him an inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. He was a good man, but he had problems just like you do and I do. Now, I want to go over here to Isaiah 38. You, you really need to read all the accounts of a prophet, of a king, and all the different books where you can find them. Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. i got to spend a little more time on this thing on prayer because people did not pray like you have imagined they prayed. I'm going to get back to Hannah in a minute and show you that she did not ask for a son. People, they use Hezekiah and Hannah all the time. Well, they asked for something and they got it. Prayer means to bow to the will of God is what it means. is the word. Isaiah 38. I'll get there in a minute. Isaiah 38. And Hezekiah here is... He's having a sickness. Did I read this already? No, I think I read this already. Hezekiah gets sick. And God... Here's 38. I had it in 37 in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death and Isaiah the prophet this is 38 and 1 the son of Amos came unto him and said unto him notice Hezekiah and Isaiah are friends always they are Isaiah is the best friend you can have thus saith the Lord set thine house in order for thou shalt die not live then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said remember now O Lord i beseech thee i have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight and hezekiah wept sore he just reminding god look what i've done and i believe he is crying over his own pride but you don't find that until second chronicles you don't find it in second kings and you don't find it here then came the word of the lord go and say to Hezekiah thus saith the Lord the God of the David thy father I have heard thy prayer and I've seen thy tears behold I will add 15 years to your life. Now what I want to do is get to where we are going the next I want to go back to first Samuel I brought out, Hezekiah did not ask for 15 years he wept before the Lord probably bowing to his will look at First Samuel and people say well Hannah got what she asked for she did not doesn't say that Elkanah had two wives Peninnah P-I-N-N-E-N-A-H I believe it is P I N N E N A H. And Hannah. Hannah ends up being the mother of Samuel. At the time of Samuel's birth, there's no king in Israel. Kings don't rule, they don't have kings. Samuel was the mouth of God upon the earth in 1 Samuel, he was God's instructor he would go and tell the priest what to do. When they ask for a king in the 8th chapter of this book, and then they get one in the ninth chapter, the prophet Samuel goes on a search, and he comes across. God says, here's the man. His name is Saul. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, here in 1 Samuel, In this first chapter, you see the story of Peninnah and of Hannah. Hannah is barren. She can't have children. And she goes to the Lord. Verse 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, after they had drunk. Now, Eli the priest, Eli was the high priest. He was a descendant of Aaron. You had to be a descendant of Aaron to be the high priest in Israel. Now, Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness, Hannah was, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Here is Hannah's prayer. Listen to it. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If thou will indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and cause me to have a son, if you will do that, I'll give him to you. I'll give him to the priest in the temple. She didn't say, give me a son. She said, if you will. And not forget mine handmaid but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. I'll give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall be no razor come upon his head. He will be a Nazarite. His vow will be, his mother will give a vow to the Lord. Only if you decide to give, if it's your will. So when people want to talk about people getting what they want in prayer, Hannah was a righteous woman. Look at chapter two. This is Hannah's prayer. I love her prayer. And Hannah prayed and said, "Now everything in here, all the way down several verses, is her prayer. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. mine horn is exalted in the Lord. She has taken her child." She said in verse 27 of the previous chapter, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, and she's taken him to, she's taken the child to Eli and say, He's yours. And that's Samuel. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord for there is none beside thee neither is there any rock like our God. This is Hannah's prayer. It's not just the Bible. It's her prayer. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed, the bows of the mighty men are broken. She's talking about God's sovereignty over everybody. And they that stumbled are girded with strength, and they that were full of full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble you send Panana or the people reminds me of David he says when he said deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword in thy hand he said their bellies are full of babes they have all that they want they have the children that they want but they're doomed and then she says I like what Hannah says here in verse 6 the Lord killeth and maketh alive if anybody dies, it's the Lord that does it. The devil doesn't kill anybody. New Deuteronomy thirty six thirty nine says, "I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. If a man's healed, I do it. If he dies, the keys of death are not in Satan's hand. The keys of death and hell are in the hands of Jesus. In Revelation the first chapter." Satan is not killing anybody. The only evil Satan can do is the amount of evil that God wants him to do. When Satan appeared before God in the first chapter of Job, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? How he escheweth evil. He's the richest man of all the East. Satan was a charismatic. I don't know if you know that. Satan said, Well, sure, he serves you. You give him this hedge all around him. He's got all this money and all these things. That's why he serves you. And Satan said, Turn him over over to my hand. I'll cause him to curse you and die. God said, It's all right now, Satan. Here's the deal. (laughs) You can. You can take everything he has. You can't touch his body, and you can't take his life. Do you understand me? Satan says, yes, sir. He goes about to do the will of God. And the Bible says that the Sabians came in and took all of his sheep and all of his asses away. And a man comes running to Job and says, The sapiens have come in and stolen all of your, your cattle. And while the man was yet speaking, the Bible says the fire of God fell from heaven. That amazes me. It doesn't say the fire of Satan fell from heaven. It says the fire of God. And that's supposed to be Satan was nothing but a tool in the hand of God. And while the man was yet speaking, another man run up and said, Your seven sons and three daughters were in a house having a party. And a wind came and blew the house in and killed all your sons and your daughters. Seven and three. Seven sons and three daughters. And Job said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord hath taken away. He says, this was God's doing. He gave Satan no credit whatsoever what was going on. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The word name is the word Shem. It means authority. Blessed be God's authority that killed my sons and daughters. And the last verse of the first chapter says, this, it goes back to the Bible speaking. And the last verse says, "And all this, Job sinned not with his lips, nor charged God foolishly. The Bible says, when Job talks about me, he tells the truth. I killed his kids. Whew. Now, that's the kind of thing that God will do to get your attention. And then you get into the second chapter And Job is being faithful to God. And Satan comes back to God and says, skin for skin. A man will do anything to save his own skin. Let me touch his body. God says, All right, you can touch his body, but you cannot touch his life. Do you understand? Satan says, Yes, sir. So Satan strikes Job from head to foot with balls. they got to be hurt and bad. Job's wife comes out and says, why don't you curse God and die? She didn't say curse Satan. Even she knew where it was coming from. She said, curse God and die. And Job said, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and shall we not also receive evil from him? He said, evil comes from God. Amos, the third chapter, verse 6 says, is there evil in the city and I have not done it? It all comes from God. Job's prayer was, though God slay me, I will trust Him. Whenever you're going through hard times, prayer is just bowing to the will of God. Prayer, prosuchomai. Now, God's will is being done. He doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or stop him from doing what he wants to do. He says, my counsel shall stand. I'll do all my pleasure. i do what I want to do. He kills, he makes sick, he makes alive. People. I heard that idiot Benny Hinn say one night on TV, he said, I challenge anybody to show me where God makes anybody sick. How about Micah six thirteen, you moron? Therefore will I make thee sick in smiting thee because of thy sins. Is that insane? God says I'll bring all God killed seventy thousand people in Israel when David numbered Israel in the twenty fourth chapter of Second Samuel. And he sent the death angel out to kill people. And the death angel comes in and says, I'm going to finish wiping out Jerusalem. God said, that's enough. I have brought enough evil upon Jerusalem. I did it. That's what the Bible says. Read that 24th chapter. All this stuff that was happening with these kings was of God. The the verse that is the most astounding verse concerning all of this is Romans 11 and 11. Did Israel stumble when they went after all these sun and tree gods? Did they do that merely to stumble for no other reason than just to fall down and bust their nose on the ground? God forbid they stumble so salvation would come to the Gentiles. So there would be a Gentile spiritual Israel church. That's why they fail. for you and I. Now, there's a lot of situations. Samuel's mother wanted a son. Uh, Samson's mother wanted a son. And God came to her and told her, you're going to have a son and there's not a razor going to come up on his head, and he's going to be a Nazarite. Nazarites had some requirements. We'll go into that later. And then you have, you got all these other places. You remember Asa and First Corinthians, fourteen, Second Chronicles, the 14th chapter. Asa is going to take half a million, half a million Israelites is going to go against a million Ethiopians, and the Ethiopians had three hundred chariots of iron a chariot of iron had those scythes come out of the wheel. you couldn't beat those no way. If somebody had three hundred chariots of iron you're all going to die and one of the greatest prayers I want to read that to you again in second chronicles. Just before Asa goes into the battle. The only reason that Asa prayed this prayer was because he had claimed the land out. He had cleared the land of all Baal and Grove and idolatry worship. He had struck it from the land. So what did he have to do to win this battle? Huh? What do you have to do? Trust Huh? Trust in the Lord. Well, he already did. He didn't really have to do nothing except go to battle, because he had cleaned the land out of all idolatry. Boy, he was such a good man when he started. Second Corinthians, the fourteenth chapter. He's fiction to go. He's going against the great army. of the ethiopians the ethiopians have a thousand thousand men and three hundred chariots in verse nine then asa went out against him and they set the battle in array verse 10 in the valley of zarephath and Marasha, and asa cried unto the lord his god this is one of the greatest prayers i have ever seen in my life in the bible cried unto the Lord his God and said Lord it is nothing with thee to help with many or with them that have no power it's nothing to you you can help with the powerful or you can take nobodies and make them win help us O Lord our God we rest on thee and in thy name we go against this multitude, huge multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. He didn't say, don't let this Ethiopian army prevail against me. He said, don't let them prevail against you. And I've cleaned the land out. God said, if you clean all the idolatry out of Israel, that your crops will be full your land will be full. There will be peace in the land. And when your enemy comes against you, they'll come seven ways and they'll, they'll come one way and flee seven ways. He said, but if you don't clean the land out, they'll come against you and you'll flee seven ways. You say, but what does this have to do to me? Does anybody have any problems there that you can't conquer? Huh? Why don't you just trust the Lord and do another thing. Wait upon the Lord to deal with it. Don't you try to deal with it and say, I'll take this into my hands and I'll fix it by force. No, you won't. It'll just get worse. I've learned a long time ago. I, I hadn't learned it till I got old. If we wait upon the Lord, he'll renew our strength. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk. And not faint. We have to wait, wait for God to deal. What I do, keep living, keep occupying till I come. Occupy don't mean to sit down. It means to continue doing what you're doing in time. Just like, do you think God can conquer our enemies like these men, like He did these men? Jehoshaphat in the twentieth chapter of this, he goes up against insurmountable odds there's no way he can whip all the Ammonites and all the all the Moabites and there's hundreds of thousands of them and Jehoshaphat being a good man of God he goes to the Lord in verse 6 and he says O Lord God our fathers art thou Art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand you? Nobody can stand against God in your life or my life. But it can't happen when you're ready for it to happen. It has to happen in God's time. Quit being in a hurry. Jim Brown that's what I that's who you to have staff to preach to when I was younger. I don't get in a hurry anymore, I wait for God. Or not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? Didn't you give it to Abraham forever? they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name's sake. If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, pestilence, and famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, Lord. This is Jehoshaphat's prayer. Great prayer. For thy name is this house, and crying unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. That's the Edomites south of Israel. Boy, they're covering up the land. I don't know how we could beat these guys. Whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, this is Jehoshaphat praying to God. Do I have some time left, Mike? Behold, I say, how they re, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession? They're coming to take over Israel. It's not time for them to. Not during the reign of Jehoshaphat, which thou hast given us to inherit. O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. We're not able to beat them. You ever had something in your life you just can't whip? Sit back. Just like Moses did whenever they came up to the Red Sea. And they had the greatest army in the world on this side of a great big fiery pillar. And the fiery pillar was keeping the Egyptian armies away. And they're up against the sea. God tells Israel, stand still. And see the salvation of God in your life. If you wait long enough and do what's right. God will fight the battle. That's what he says here. And all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. Their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel the son of Zechariah. The son of Benaiah. The son of Jeiel. The son of Mattaniah. A Levite of the sons of Asaph came the Spirit of the Lord. Is this a different spirit than the New Testament where the Spirit of the Lord is truth? It's not different. In the midst of the congregation, he said... This is the prophet prophesying, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I can say that to everybody here. If you're a believer, the battle don't belong to you belongs to God. Does anybody have something that they can't conquer? Well, my job, and my boss, and my house, and my car, and my you you think God can't, if he can handle this, do you think he can handle that? I love that, for the battle is not yours. I love that. Boy, that needs to be a great big neon lights. The battle is not yours. It belongs to God if you're a believer. What is he going to have to do, take you through years of fire and trials to make you bow to that fact? That's what he did to me. I had to go through so much to make me bow to these words. I'm doing that now, but I'm 80 years old. What else would I do? What am I going to do, fight something, argue with somebody, argue with a real estate agent, argue with an insurance agent, and fight some guy that cuts me off in traffic? For what? So they can shoot me and I can go meet the Lord earlier? Or what? This prophet said tomorrow go you down against them. Behold they come up by the cliff Zes, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook. We don't know if we want to find our enemy. Before the wilderness of Je- Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Boy is that something for us. I got that in big red letters underlined set yourself stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you that's exactly what Moses told the children of Israel. let me tell you stand still we'll get all wound up we want to fix things don't we I'm going to fix that guy I'm going to fix this I'm going to fix her I'm going to fix him no you're not it's like thing, I'm going down there and take Judah 722 BC no you're not, not till 586 you're not going to do nothing and you ain't going to be the king then you're going to be dead sometimes God may deal with your enemies long after you're out of the way oh Judah and Jerusalem fear not nor be dismayed tomorrow go out right against them for the Lord will be with you Don't you like that? I love this chapter. I don't know if I like this better than Asa's prayer. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping God. And the Levites of the children of the Korathites and the children of Korites stood to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood. Jehoshaphat's the good guy. He's the commanding general of the Lord. He's the king. Stood and said, I love Jehoshaphat. I love him. I love this guy. He just messed around. He did one. Th- he did something I used to do. I used to hang around heathen gospel singers thinking I can lead them into righteousness, and I couldn't. They affected me and got me to doing the things they did. Hear me, O Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe his prophets, so that you prosper. And they go out against them. And they whip them. You cannot fix your problems. You're on a journey. God's got you in an orderly arranged journey. I've said this before so many times. This is kind of way God works. You start off as a little kid. You don't know much, but if you belong to God, He usually gives you some kind of conviction. I've known that I was going to do something for the Lord ever since I was a little kid. I didn't know how to say it. I just knew something like that was going to happen. God has to deal with our hearts in time. Here's what happens. You start off innocent. You start off innocent, you're a little boy or girl. And you learn to grow up very gradually. And you get in 35 or 40, and you get mature. Or I would call proud. proud. You get proud. So God says, that won't do. You start off innocent like a little kid. So God's gotta put you through all kinds of fire and trials and turn you back into a little boy again. Now, I recognize that because that's what he did to me. He took me I got real proud and lifted up with my singing voice and my ability. And then God says, We've got to strip you of that. He took that voice away from me. I was so in love with my ability to sing, I thought I can I can sing higher than any tenor singer in America. Had a real high voice. I talked up here when I was young. Everybody that's got a voice you drop four or five steps by the time you hit fifty five or sixty. And not only that, but your vibrato goes haywire. It goes... The vibrato is the vibrations in your voice. And these guys, these pop singers, in their 55 and 60, and people bragging on them, say, you're greater than ever. No, they're not. They stink. (laughs) I mean, their vibrato is everywhere. The reason they brag on them is because they're famous. When Frank Sinatra did his Carnegie Hall special after Elvis did his... Hawaiian special they were walking around Frank saying you're greater than ever he couldn't hit a pitch to save his life and he was just waving all over the place with his and I thought you're bragging on him because he's already famous and he's old and everybody knows who he is and you're telling him he's greater than ever and he's not he was nowhere near the way he was in the early 50s but that's what people do when they get older you're going to lose what you got. You lose your looks. You lose your drive. And that's when God can use you. God did not require of believers that they be found successful. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful, dying, that's all. If that's something you're told as a young child, as a believer, but you don't really believe it till God makes you that way. I really believe it now at my age. Didn't believe it when I was thirty or thirty-five or forty. I thought, what do you mean? Listen to this. What? I can't even make the sound now. And God takes everything away from us like he did Jehoshaphat makes us pay attention to him now we're going to go next this next week I've got to go into I'm going to go into the destruction of Judah I can't get how much time they have Mike Eight. eight here's where I'm going to go this next week go back over Right after Hezekiah, notice what comes after Hezekiah. Hezekiah has a son. Hezekiah is one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. Go back over there to Second Kings. Now right after the Bible talks about Hezekiah being sick. Right after it talks about that. Oops, I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong kings. Hezekiah being sick, that's in chapter 20 of 2 Kings. He's got a son named Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the wickedest kings that ever lived in Israel. This is the son of one of the most righteous kings that ever lived in Israel. That's Manasseh. Because of the wickedness that Manasseh did, God says, I'm not going to turn back from my destroying Israel because of the wickedness that this man did. Let's read a few verses of this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. Now let me tell you something about these kings. Manasseh was 12. What does a 12 year old know about ruling? Nothing. Nothing. Who's he going to consult? The queen mother she's going to tell him son here's what you need to be doing evidently she wasn't paying attention to Hezekiah so he gets on a tear this Manasseh does he is something else he did that which was evil I mean should be in big letters red flashing letters in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel, all the Ammonites and the the Jebusites and the uh, parasites and all those ites, all the evil he did all that evil that they did, for He built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father, had destroyed. His father had cleaned Israel out, and his son is coming along and going to bring it back. And the reared up altars for Baal made a grove. The tree goddess. Somebody wrote me an email saying Jehu cleaned all this up in Israel. No, he didn't. Jehu cleaned up northern Israel. But when Hathalai brought it down into southern Judah, these guys seemed to catch on to that real quick. And what is the difference between what they're doing and what we're doing in America? It's ideology, whatever you put in your eyes and ears, and you just saturate your life with it. He did that Was evil. He built up the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He read up altars for Baal and a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven. This is the king of southern Judah and served them, and he built altars in the house of the Lord. In the temple he built altars to these gods and goddesses. It's a wonder God didn't strike him dead right there, which the Lord said, in Jerusalem will I put my name, and you've built a grove in the house of God. Some writers say he raised up an Ashtaroth in the house. And he built the altars for all the hosts of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments. How in the world could Hezekiah's son of all people do this? He's probably listening to his queen mother. And dealt with familiar spirits. Dealt with, remember that word? Ob, bottle soothsayers pretending to talk to the dead and wizards and he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger and he set up a graven image of the grove that's the same thing as a Christmas tree And he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever, neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land, which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe, only if you will observe to do according to all that I have commanded. That's the only way you can keep from being scattered. And according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them, but they hearkened not. And these next words say Manasseh seduced Israel to do worse than any king before him. And he's a believer. How do you know that? You have to go to Second Chronicles the 33rd chapter to watch him be converted because he's carried away to Babylon and they hearkened not and Manasseh Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel he did more evil in Israel than all the Ammonites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all of those the Canaanites did more than all of them in Israel in the house of God and the Lord spake by his servants the prophets saying because Manasseh king of Judah king of Judah that's amazing hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did which were before him hath made Judah also to sin with idols Here's my judgment. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth it, both his ears shall tingle. This will scare the life out of you, what I do. I'm going to destroy it because of the wickedness of Manasseh. And I will stretch out over Jerusalem the lion of samaria and the plummet of the house of ahab a plummet was a plumb line what i have measured to ahab and destroyed him i'm going to do to southern judah and i will wipe jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish wiping it turning it upside down and god says in the next chapter i won't repent of this thing that i'm going to do because of the wickedness of Manasseh. Whew. You wonder how these guys could do this? That's a good question. How can we in America do what we do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Teach us your word how we need to depend upon you. This fight that we're in daily, it's in your hands. We're not to fight the fight lord fight our battles for us thank you for truth cause to continue this work and open up doors for the ministry we'll give you praise for everything let us cheer elect in christ's name amen well we're getting to the end of the kings i hope I hope y'all getting a hold of this